When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New Extra Charge Hot and Iced Coffee from Dunkin' is made with 20% extra caffeine from green coffee extract because we could all use a little extra this year. Whether that's an extra boost, some extra boldness, or the drive to go the extra mile, we're extra ready for whatever comes our way and extra excited to take it on. Let's get it done with a medium extra charged coffee from Dunkin' for $2 with 20% more caffeine. And pair it with Snackable Stuff Bagel Minis for an added all-day boost. Order ahead on the Dunkin' app. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Ghost in the Night with Phil Sams. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ghost in the Night on Hauntings and Paranormal Podcast. I am Phil Sams. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come listen to this podcast. I am honored and I greatly appreciate it. I have a lot of admiration for everybody that listens to this podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. Today we have a very, very special guest. Today we have Keith Linder. Now, some of you might recognize Keith. I know when he reached out to me and offered up his story and wanted to come on, share his story. I recognize the name. After doing a quick little search, I realized that, oh, shit, I know this story. And that is because he was on an episode of Ghost Adventures, that famous for, it's famous for not the best reason, but it's famous anyway. This episode was Demons in Seattle. And this episode, Ghost Adventures didn't find shit. And they kind of left the door open that maybe Keith and his then-time girlfriend were maybe hoaxing it. They didn't come out and say it, but they sure the hell implied it. And the fallout from that episode was tremendous. I mean, Keith got a tremendous amount of backlash after that episode aired. And now he's back telling his side of the story talks about the Ghost Adventures episode, how they recorded that episode. You know, he goes into a little bit of detail on that. But the main thing that he talks about is they're not the only people that have investigated it there. Yeah, they didn't find anything, and that's acceptable. Anybody that's done any paranormal investigating knows there's there's times you just don't find shit. I've investigated places that Ghost Adventures has been, and they have got an abundance of evidence. I didn't get nothing. Didn't even get a peep. Didn't get any EVPs. No eerie feelings. But was it a waste of my time? No. Does that mean the place is not haunted or there's not activity there? Absolutely not. Just means I didn't get it. That is the name of the game. Sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. Keith tells how this story has evolved over the time, over the past five years, essentially. Other people investigated that location and got backed up as claims. And 
that is what this story is all really about, about how something could go so wrong and then they turn it around and get some validation. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for this episode. Now, it is a little bit longer. It's about an hour and a half or so, give or take, or actually a little plus. It's a little over hour and a half interview. But we start from the beginning before Ghost Adventures when they first moved in with him and his then-time girl, then-girlfriend, Tina. And we go all the way up to present day. Now, he has written a book about it called The Bothell Hell House. I will put links to all that stuff and even the PDF form of the research that the researchers did when from out of the UK when they came and investigated. I'll put all that up in the show note page. You can find that at philsamps.com slash surviving dash a dash poltergeist that all that information will be on there. If you're watching on this on YouTube, be sure to subscribe naturally, but you'll also see some footage that Keith has taken in that video. So I, if you're just listening, head on over to YouTube, check it out. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, because especially Twitter, because that is where I give all the updates for the podcast. If I have uh, something going on, I give kind of clues on what the next episode is going to be. So follow us on Twitter at night underscore ghost. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Keith Linder and his time spent at that location and the fallout from the Ghost Adventures episode, Demon in Seattle. Okay, on the phone we have Keith Linder. Now, some of you might recognize the name. His story and his uh, encounters with the paranormal kind of gained some momentum and picked up a little steam and got some national rec- recognition when Ghost Adventures did a episode entirely on their story. How you doing tonight, Keith? Uh, pretty good. Uh, it's a uh, weekend night, so we're just going outside, which is rare in Seattle, especially this late in the season, but uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me, by the way. Not a problem. Thank you for coming on. Um, Yeah, snow in Seattle, I thought it just rained up there. We, I, we're out of Ohio. I'm out of Cincinnati, Ohio, actually, and we're just coming off a spell of, you know, negative 30 degree wind chills and six, seven inches of snow. And it was like 62 degrees today. And I'm like, I'm like cool. I can deal with this. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Now, if for people who aren't aware of your story and your the experiences you had to live with you and the at the time girlfriend, um, let's start from the beginning. You moved into a home in Bothell. I'm pronouncing that correct, aren't I? Yeah, Bothell. Yeah, Bothell. Um, in around 2012, did now did the activity start immediately when you moved in, or when did you start noticing the activity, and what kind of activity started the paranormal ball rolling? Essentially. Uh, yeah. The uh, we moved in May first, 2012. Me and Tina, and um, the activity uh pretty much started gradually. Um, of course, we didn't know it was activity at first because um, me and Tina combined. I mean, we were we were relatively new to the paranormal. Um, one of the first things that happened to us in the house that we sort of shrugged off when we moved in, and naturally so, was the um, kid talk that we heard uh, when we went to uh, pick up the keys to the house, sign the papers. Uh, meet the landlord for a second time. And, um, 
Yeah, so we're, we're we're sitting in the living room, me and Tina, and uh, we're just sort of talking, getting a lay of the land, what furniture's going to go where, which closet space is hers, da 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 And out the blue in the middle of our conversation, man, Tina, we're, we're downstairs, two-story home, uh, we heard a kid talk, and it was very loud, clear, uh, distinct, uh, because we both looked at each other and said at the same time, was that a kid's talk? And just for the record, we had no kids. Uh, it's only us in the house. The house is empty. I mean, there's no furniture, there's no lights, there's no power. All the windows are closed. But the noise sounded like it came from one of the bedrooms upstairs. Four uh, bedrooms upstairs. It sounded like it came from one of them. But once again, um, we might have spent five minutes talking about it, and we thought it was odd. Obviously, that had to have come from outside, even though it didn't make sense that it would. So we shrugged it off. And, you know, fast forward two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, we're moving in. I um, started noticing items missing. One of the first things, to, one of the first items to go missing that I was aware of was my extra set of car keys. Uh, Tina started complaining about her jewelry. She's now missing one earring, one bracelet, one watch. And we both noticed that our silverware, we're now, you know, searching for silverware. You know, you open up your silverware drawer, you grab a spoon or a knife, and you realize that your stash is getting low. But once again, having not ever been, you know, I guess, face-to-face with the paranormal, uh, we just shrugged it off and, and sort of put it in the category of these things were lost during the move. It happened. Uh, Tina was moving from her apartment. I was moving from mine. We did not live together uh, at the time. This was our first time moving under one roof. But I guess moment of truth, if you will, for us, the final realization and not the only occupants of the home. Came about a month or six weeks into the home. We're, we're um, watching a movie, me and Tina, sitting on the couch uh, side by side. And uh, Tina has this plant. She has a four-foot-tall plant that she had positioned it by the entertainment center. So we're watching a movie on Netflix. And out the blue, uh, the plant shoots up in the air. I mean, it really darts up in the air, maybe a few inches off the ground, and does a 360 spin, and then falls over, kills over in our direction. Um, we're sitting side by side, so we saw it together playing this day. Uh, we both have a sort of look of awe or shock on our face, and we're asking ourselves the question, did that just happen? Right. I mean, it's got six or seven, eight PM at night and this plant just shoots up and falls to the ground. Uh, and we rushed over to the plant. I mean we rushed over thinking that either we're on candid camera or we signed up for some reality show that we didn't know about and that this house is bugged and monitored because we honestly thought the joke was on us. I mean, it's Tina's plant, um, and we're looking and combing through the leaves, looking for wire looking for a remote control device. And the more or the longer we look, the more we realize 
okay, we're not finding any man-made item attached to this plant. Therefore, the only thing that we're left with is I think we have a ghost on our hands. And that's what we said. So I think we have a, a ghost in our house because now all that stuff that we um, put aside and sort of shrugged off, they now come into play. They right. now get introduced of, oh, that's what the kid talks about. Oh, that's what the missing item. And keep in mind at this phase, we are now finding items that neither one of us owned, mainly kid toys. The kid toys were showing up and popping, popping up out the blue, meaning you wake up and, you know, you go to sleep and wake up the next morning and there are kid toys scattered throughout the house on the counter, on the kitchen table, coffee table. And we don't have kids. We don't have kids. It's just two living there. And, um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I would say, you know, if you don't have any kids and you walk downstairs or something and all of a sudden you see a kid's toys in the living room or in the kitchen or whatever, you'll be like, all right, what the hell's going on here? Now, when did things, now, anybody that's seen, you know, the uh, Ghost Adventures episode, you know, that was probably some of the stuff you documented yourself that was some really, really high-level poltergeist type of activity. Um, when did things progress to kind of go from maybe like a five where you're at now with things moving to the 10 level where it got real and, you know, you might have even been a little fearful at the at that point? Well, um, yeah, I tell people, um, you know, the activity started in 2012, and we had a lot of activity in 2012. And, and people should understand um, the public, and that includes Ghost Adventures, didn't catch wind of our case until two years after the fact. And by then, you're right, that's when we're now on a scale of one to five, as far as activity goes, we're at a five. And that started in 2014. Okay. Also, as a as a means of defense as to why do we stay in the house so long, right. people need to under understand that in 2013, we had no activity. The activity did come to an abrupt stop okay. uh, around November, December 2012, and all of 2013 was relatively quiet. So we thought we dodged the bullet. We thought the advice given to us online and paranormal teams and churches in the area had finally made these spirits move out the home. Right. Well, the I guess the disclaimer to that is if they should come back, they just come back worse than before. And they did. And they, when they came back worse than before, was in March, April of 2014. Uh, the things that this case, I guess, is known for, or for lack of a better word, famous for, is the Bibles that caught fire, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, the crosses that caught fire, uh, the wall writings that individuals might have saw in the Ghost of Interest episode. Mm-hmm. That started getting the media and public because now we're spinning our wheels and nothing we do is working. A priest has to the home multiple times and nothing is working. And it's just getting, I mean, the activity is getting more escalated with every troubleshooting that we do, and so it attracted local media attention, which springboards it into the um, I guess blogosphere, if you will, right. and that's not the attention of Ghost uh, Yeah. Right. Now, since we're kind of jumped, we're kind of at the Ghost Adventures part. Now, 
I know from what I've you know heard of your case and watching that episode, they did not. You did not come out and search for them. You kind of, if I'm understand it, everything correctly, the kind of the local news in the area kind of picked up on your story, and you did an interview with a local reporter, and that's pretty much where Ghost Adventure heard of your story, and they came to you, correct? Yeah, Ghost Adventure was found, like I said, we didn't know Ghost Adventure existed, and you're right, the local reporter, uh, I believe it was Cairo Homo News in Seattle, yeah. Lisa Jaffe, and she heard the loud bangs. Keep in mind, we've had furniture and items go flying left and right, loud banging, which is, you know, typical portrait stuff. Right. So she came, and her reporter came, her cameraman came to the home, I think it was October 30th of 2014. And I knew they were probably there for a story. It's Halloween time to get the story and get out of here. Right. Um, and I didn't predict the loud bang, but I'm glad, I'm glad that there was a loud bang because when she heard the loud bang, I don't know if you saw the, the piece that she did, right. um, she paused, she looked up to the roof and she was like, what was that? Right. But she was a friend of Dave Schrader. And she said, hey, I know Dave Schrader. And Dave called me the next day. The next morning I got to work about 10 of I get a call, and it's Dave Schrader. And he's like, hey, my name is Dave Schrader. I'm a friend of Alicia Jaffe. She sent me some video. I saw the news piece. Uh, one of the chief researchers for Ghost Adventures. And he interviewed for maybe like 10 to 12, 15 minutes, asked mm-hmm. a few questions. Uh, he generic questions. And um, I was honest with him. Like, I'm honest with everybody. And I told him, you know, we're renters, so... Whatever I say you guys could do first is to get approval from the landlord, and he made that stipulation. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I contacted the landlord, who at that time had been made aware of the activity, and um, he said, yeah, bring us to me. <laughs> and most of us caught wind of the case. Now, on the on that episode, that showed a lot of the footage that you, you know, the videos that you recorded. Now, that's all my footage, yeah. All that stuff you see on that right. footage is my stuff, yeah. So, I mean, at, when that stuff starts happening and, you know, things like the the classic one is when you're, I guess, in your office, I believe, kind of with a video yeah. camera pointing out toward the hallway and things are f- candle, I think it was a candle or a candle holder flying. Yeah. When that stuff started happening in that magnitude, did you start doing a little research, talked, because I know they even mentioned in the episode that, you know, um, it, you were renters and the landlord and everything. Did you talk to the landlord and say, hey, is this common? Or were you the first people that lived in that house? Or were there renters before you that maybe experienced some stuff? Yeah, those are, uh, like I said, those are, like, you know, we get, you know paranormal teams have, at that time in our into the house, and they have questionnaires. Mm-hmm. But also, me and Tim, you know, you know we're, we're, we're lots of thinkers. And, yeah, the first, I mean, the house was built in 2005. We moved in 2005. Okay. Uh, obviously, the homeowner has chosen not to live in it. So you start right there. Right. And I went back to him, the homeowner, like, hey, is there anything nefarious about the house? Give him the opportunity to confess or tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, he said no, but he was nonchalant about it. Then my next question to him was, well, how about the other previous tenants who lived in the home? And he said not to his knowledge. Okay. Uh, but uh, I struck gold one day when uh, a letter arrived in the mail that was addressed to a previous tenant. And instead of giving the mail to him like I normally do, uh, I Googled the name on Facebook and I found a previous tenant 
who lived in the house four or five years before we did. Uh-huh. And um, we chatted on Facebook, and I told her who I was and where I was currently living. And I said, we're, we're experiencing weird things. I didn't tell her what the weird things were. I just said, hey, me and my girlfriend experienced some weird things. And she confirmed to me because she said the house, to, for them, these are her words, not mine, was a living hell. It was the beginning of the end uh, in that place. Um, they had phantom footsteps, door slams, countless electrical issues, mm-hmm. um, kitchen cabinets, you know, the kitchen cabinet phenomena that we experienced a lot. Uh, they had, they had a living nanny who just outright left the house one day and took the kids with her when both of her were in the town. But the thing that struck me the most that I had not yet looked even Tina, uh, was the shadow figure. Where she told me that her son, uh, who, you know, for the record, his, his room was my office. Her son, who saw the shadow figures while living in the home, mm-hmm. and was still seeing them where they live currently, which was Yakima, Washington. Um, I had already seen the shadow figures about that time. Um, and when she described, or when her son described them, that was confirmation to me that I was, like I said, not going crazy. But all this information going back to those events is, you know, I was given to them. You know, you you know, they interview you, you tell them, you talk to Dave and the producers and there's a lot of prep work before the guys arrive two months later. Right. And um yeah, and, and I and I give them a treasure trove of stuff. I gave them the, the previous contact contact info, hoping that they would reach out to her and get her, her side. Cause that you know, that builds up my side. You know? Exactly. Uh, that that's kinda why I asked that question, because, you know, when you contacted me about being on the podcast, you know, I had seen that episode oh late sometime in 2018 on a Friday when they were, you know, how they always do the all day marathons. I think I came home from work, had it on, I was doing some stuff and it came on and naturally it kind of caught my attention. I sat down and watched it and that episode struck me, struck me because when you reached out to me and I said, wait a minute, you sent me an email and I said, wait a minute, I got, this sounds familiar. I did. I said, Oh, that's the episode. I remember because that is the one episode. I'm not an avid ghost adventures watchers. I've seen a lot of them. I'm not going to say I've seen all of them, but I've never once seen them not find anything. I made a joke on a podcast of one of my podcasts earlier that they could find um, evidence in a Wendy's bathroom. That's how, you know, not saying they kind of, push the boundaries a little bit on evidence but they always seem to find great evidence and that episode stuck out to me because they didn't find anything <clears throat> excuse me and they kind of and i want to get into this they kind of left the door open that maybe you were um maybe i don't want to say hoaxing it but blowing up this activity a little bit for you know, i don't know whether what they thought yeah. um but so you they actually knew you gave them information of a previous tenant and they actually knew that and left that out yeah and yeah and, they, and, and like i said when they came in november december of 2014 the episode originally aired february of 2015 um yeah we gave them a treasure trove because i'm an it professor <laughs> and i knew the importance of documenting the phenomenon happening around us because i'm not thinking paranormal terms. i'm thinking i one day got to move out of this place right. i one day got to use this as a reference for my next home 
And I also got to document for insurance purposes and just be on the up and up. But yeah, and then when we saw the episode for the first time when it originally aired, uh, I saw the omitting of the previous tenant comments. Uh, but I also saw something that even made me more upset than that was when, and maybe you remember this, when they sort of, um, there was a scene in the show where they said they talked to Native American somebody. Right. It was specific at who, and that, and that Native American person said that there are no Native Americans ever being reported in the Bothell area. Right. And I'm from Texas. I moved to Seattle in 2005, and I know off the top of my head that that's totally false. Right. Uh, Bothell, Washington is in Snohomish County. Snohomish County is a Native American name. The Pacific Northwest, like other parts of the country, was rich with Natives and Originals uh, inhabitants, such as settlers arrival, you know, the whole Lois and Clark thing. And also the fact that all you and anybody, even the listeners listening to this piece right now, if you Google Bothell, Washington, um, look several Wikipedia pages, you're going to be met with Native American history and the story of settlers arriving and the original founder, I forgot his first, but that's through Bothell and Seattle and all that stuff. And then I was like, dumbfounded that came out of the episode because that's easily verifiable. Right. I mean, that's in, t- in today's modern age, you know, you could, you could have gotten away with that 50 years ago without the internet, but now with the internet, mm-hmm. everybody can have access to the same information and they, and they threw that out there. But, you, but you're right. Um, and, and other people who follow Ghost Adventures or follow the paranormal who watch it, uh, it's been on for eight, nine, 10, 11 years came and found me and told me, um, we've never seen them treat uh, house occupants so heavy-handed. Right. You know, it, it seemed like they came in there and it was them versus you or them versus your story. And it was almost like they were saying, well, this is all too good to be true and all that. And, you know, why is she sleeping in the room and the next room has got this crucifix? But, at the same time, this is what they do the last eight years. They go into dangerous burning house, right. burning locations activities that high. But then um, they didn't get any activity, but I knew when they arrived that that might be a problem because keep in mind, once again, they're working with me, they're working with the home tenant, and they tell you before they arrive, and this is weeks in advance, how long their investigation is going to last. And their investigation is written on paper to last five hours. Okay? okay. And I knew right then and there that's not a long time to get evidence. No. Even in a house as diverse hours, uh, five hours is an eye blink. Um, but they, you know, I didn't fault them for not getting evidence. What I fault them for was either they over exaggerated or he's writing the, the wall writings or Tina's doing it behind his back and that tennis chick, she's kind of weird, she's kind of interesting, without even, you know, any data to support that except, oh, I got a, 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 a butterfly on my stomach. It was, it was just weird. Right. Um, earlier this week, I went, you know, preparing to, to talk to you, I went back and watched that episode again. And, like I said earlier, the, my first impression of that episode when I saw it and I, you know, first started talking to you, and my just my remembering of that episode was that they kind of left the door open for the hoaxing. But as I watched it again a couple of days ago, just to kind of refresh my memory, so I had all the uh, facts from that episode down, 
from the very beginning when what's his name Dave the researcher that contacted you is that yeah when he they did an interview together they almost it's almost like they were setting it up that they were kind of going to push this in a certain direction in the way or and probably what it is is they didn't find anything so in editing they kind of pushed it toward the direction that they that well, yeah. they yeah. didn't find anything maybe this is just a bunch of bs yeah. When I watched it back, I was like, wow. From the very beginning, when even they did their little interview, he they were kind of saying, and I was watching it with my fiance, and two or three times through that um, episode, Zach was saying, well, we're not leaving here till um, we find out what's going on either way. And, you know, that either way yeah, is a powerful, power. that's a powerful statement, especially knowing what I know now. I'm like, they were, and even my fiance made a, Note was because I kind of told her the story and I said I want to watch this just to kind of you know refresh. And she, Zach said that and she said that's bullshit right there. They ain't gonna they're not gonna find anything and they're leaving. And I said and the funny thing is and because we had talked in our pre-interview phone call and I you told me they were only there for five hours. I'm like really? So they were building it up. But like the Native American part, portion, what you were just talking about. You know, they found one, and this is where editing comes in. They found one Native American tribe, elder of a tribe, I guess, and that tribe might not have been in that particular area. You know, they didn't go out to find right. other ones. So they left, they edited that in there to eat, to kind of throw the uh, doubt on you and your girlfriend at the time. <clears throat> now, in my research for it, for doing this uh, interview, there was a backlash after that episode aired on you and and her, correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, huge backlash, um, especially towards Tina. And, um, you know, the backlash was, once again, uh, y'all made it up. Y'all wasted Ghost Adventures time. That Tina, well, at the same time, they're saying we made it up. They're saying Tina's a demon lady. Right. Tina's the it, Tima's possessed, mm -hmm. the activities attached to her. <laughs> it was like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. I right. mean, we made it up, right. or <laughs> which one is it? Yeah. So, so, yeah, the backlash of, of the, um, you know, because, you know, I reached out to Dave and Zach afterwards, and just so you know, um, we didn't hear from them for two months before the episode aired, two and a half months, and then a week before the episode aired, they had invited us to appear on Aftershock, which they were going to fly us out in March to do an episode on Aftershock to see where things were at now. Right. But at the same time, they were not telling us what they found from the first trip. Right. Well, we saw the episode and we told her, no, 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 there's no, no Aftershock. Right. Like I said, the backlash was 90% or 100% against me and Tina. Right. And we were like, what, what did we do? I mean, you bring up an interesting point in the episode when Zach's sitting around that table and I guess they're in the hotel or somewhere. Right. And they're like, we're not going to leave this house until we find what it is we're looking for. While at the same time, I have your contract and we all signed it and there's a PDF of it, of, of how long you actually want to stay in the house, which is five hours. Right. So... <laughs> So, and, and, and I get it. It's the TV aspect of it. It's the entertainment aspect of exactly. it. Exactly. I do tell people, 
had they had found activity while they were there. There's two episodes that they film while in the house. One where they find something, then because there's a lot of things that's on the cutting room floor, my conversation with Zach, my conversation with Dave. Mm-hmm. So they, they spin it and, you know, Ghost Adventures, majority of the show is voiceover work anyway. Right. Zach is giving him from a studio. So that gives them a lot of latitude to shape a show right. in a way they be based on what they find. But um, it was shocked to me that organization that prides itself on helping people and getting to the truth right. would just throw up to the wolves. Because, I mean, and it, it, and this is no sour grape. This is the truth. Right. They threw, they threw us to the wolves. Right. And, you know, I've seen other episodes where they didn't get as much as they normally get. And I can't think of the episode right offhand, but you know, they didn't go to the extreme of pushing the story where they, where they pushed yours. You know, they, you know, they were kind of more, a little bit more for lack of better gentler with that particular episode, I guess, than they were with you. Now, just so everybody else knows, you know, this was about the time when, uh, the whole split happened, correct? Somewhere in that, general area with uh, the Ghost Adventures crew with Nick leaving and that rift that happened. That's right around that time. That was the same season that uh, right. Nick left. He left, you know, because all seasons were split in half, just around the holidays. Right. Nick was put in his walking papers, or it was announced back in October, November, uh, right before they came to the house, because um, we thought that he was going to be coming with them, and then when he didn't show up, right. um, a news piece or that news release went out. Uh, and then when the season came back in February for the second half, I think it was season 11 or whatever. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was during that time period. Yeah. So not to say that that had any effect on it, but it probably ghost adventures, that whole the umbrella of ghost adventures was probably under a little bit of a stress. It's probably a stressful time for him. But one thing I want to get into, you know, like you said, they spent five hours at a location. Now I have a lot of followers on Twitter and some of the other social media and most of them or not a lot of followers. I meant to say a lot of my followers are paranormal investigators. Every paranormal invest- investigator need knows that five hours isn't enough. You can go spend hours, eight, 10, 12 hours at a location and not get anything and go back and spend five hours and get something. It's, you know, it's a crapshoot. You're not going to get something. Your chances of getting something in five hours, you know, that cuts everything in half. You need to spend more time. And I would always assumed the way they cut and edit the show that they actually spent maybe a day or two in a, at a town doing the interviews and everything and doing a little bit more investigation than just five hours. <laughs> yeah, that's what we thought. And that's what the homeowners thought when they agreed to come. And like I said, when we saw that, they, I mean, there's two teams that arrived, A team and B team. Right. Uh, the B team arrived first for B-roll, and they're, they were there three and a half days. B team, but they're doing only reenactments. They don't care about ghosts or nothing. They're just there to do reenactments right. and do an episode. And they hire local help. People they hire are local. So um, that was interesting. And then when I saw the actual groundwork investment, I was like, oh, okay, you guys are in here about 11 p.m., out by 3 a.m. Okay, wow. Right. That's a lot of, you know, that's moving a lot of 
camera equipment for a short period of time, but okay, I get it. I, you know, I get it. And, um, yeah, it, it was just weird. And then I, I knew the, I knew the mission was over before it started. But once again, I didn't think the fallout would be on us. Like the onus would be on us. Like, Hey, if we don't find anything, you guys wasted our time. And, you know, same, same on you. I didn't know that. If I knew that, if I knew that risk was there. Right. I never would I know. I know what to call. Yeah, I mean, it's not worth it. I mean, um. So, the Ghost Adventures uh, episode airs. There's a fallout. Where do you go from here? You are still. This aired what 2015, correct? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this aired February 28th of 2015. And you did. Um, you moved out in 2016, correct? I moved out uh, May of 2016. Yeah. <laughs> Tina moved out. Uh, late February. Tina moved out early March, right after the episode aired because of that episode. She had had it uh, with the show. It had strained our relationship in addition to all the activity right. we're already experiencing. Um, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, screw me, screw them, screw this house. Right. And um, I was this close to moving out myself. Right. Because now I'm in this crazy house by myself. Right. And then I get an email out the blue from a paranormal team on the East Coast. Nikki Novell uh, reaches out to me. And having seen the episode, one of the first questions she asked me was, number one, are you still in the house? Are you having an activity? And boy, did Ghost Adventures do a number on you. Right. And um, she and her team, she asked very point-blank questions, gave me a questionnaire to fill out. And she was like, um, hey, it, it, you know, you, you're well within your rights to say no, but um, we would like to, if possible, rehabilitate your case. And really wanted to do that after learning the short period of time that Gosevich was there. Um, by then, I was so jaded, my knee-jerk reaction was no, meaning I'm not letting anybody else come into this house with K2 meters or whatever right. I've done. I'm about to tell the landlord I'm, I'm out of here. Well, she said, no, 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 no. What we would like to do is we, we heard you were, you had cameras of your own. And um, if you, you know, and if you feel comfortable, can you reset those up? And we're willing to monitor your house 24 by 5, five days a week, 24 7. I got teams on standby who just had nothing better to do to just want to watch your cameras in every room and document the noise, the bumping, the knocks, the door slams, the movement. And we want to do that for a period of six or seven months, build up a nice treasure trove, if you will. And once we get to that level and you're comfortable and we think we've got, you know, because we've got one phase of video data and the next question anybody's going to ask is, what did you ever step foot in the house? And if you want to, seven months down the line, allow us to come in. We'll come in. We'll live there. We want to live in your house, and we'll be there for three weeks or more. And then, and that seemed reasonable. In addition, once again, on the flip side of that, I um, started reading myself about the phenomena we were having, and the word that kept coming up in my reading was culture. Right. And, um, a name in all the books that I was reading about was Steve Mara. Mm-hmm. Steve Mara is a parapsychologist in the UK who's uh, investigated several Portuguese cases 
written several books about the phenomenon. <laughs> and I kind of, as a Hail Mary, I sent him all the video and audio footage and the previous tenants notes and all that. And, um, developed a email correspondence with him that lasted for like four months. And, uh, so yeah, by the end of, or I guess the fall, if you will, of 2015, um, both the U.S. team were monitoring my house via, uh, remote CCTVs. Right. infrared cameras and I'm having email exchange and Skype chat with Steve Mara and Don Phillips and both teams made it clear, you know, they would like to come live in the home um after seeing enough data to make them think well there's smoke there's fire. There's there's something here we might be able to um uh they thought, you know, both teams thought we might be able to rehabilitate your case while at the same time, this is what we do. We study phenomena. Now, before we get too far into this, I'm just, just for people who maybe aren't completely and totally aware or familiar with your particular experience, you documented a lot of evidence yourself. In the activity that you had was, you know, things flying, things moving like the plant, um, things catching on fire you know, Bibles burning, and also even the fire department had to come because a poster caught on fire in your office, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, and it's all documented, and you have a YouTube channel. Where can they, and I'm sure you have a lot of this um, stuff on YouTube, some of these videos on YouTube. Where can people f- go see that that haven't maybe seen the episode or seen any of the other documentaries? Where can they go and find you on YouTube? That way they can kind of see what we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, if they go, I mean, you just have to type in Keith L. My last name is Linda. Just type in Keith L. And YouTube will throw you into my channel. Right. Um, it's really easy to find. Um, but yeah, I started keeping a Excel spreadsheet and a video diary, which is YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's about the videos now on YouTube uh, of when the phenomena began because you have, I mean, we're having chairs thrown, bar stools thrown, fires, and even the paranormal teams that you tell over the phone who live in Seattle, sometimes, you know, and yeah, you're hearing it for the first time, you don't know this guy from Adam, it can sound a little bit far-fetched or too good to be true. Oh, yeah. So some of the things um, we were advised to do was set up a video camera. You know, if, if a ghost is banging on your door while you and your girlfriend are sleeping every night, Put a tripod in your hallway and see if you can catch that. Right. Well, we did. Well, told you guys, but knock the camera down, turn it off, plug it, throw it across the room, and outright take it. I mean, I have, I have over countless cameras that are missing to this day, but out of 20 attempts, you do get lucky and you get one video out of 20, and that one video gets uploaded to YouTube. Right. And also, when, um, Events happen, you know. I do a time step. When was the flower pot that was thrown on Tuesday at eight thirty-five? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know some researchers out there. There might be a trend. It may be throwing flower pot eight thirty-five every day of the week, right? And that'll come out on a spreadsheet. You know, that'll stand out. You know, Thursday. Right. So I start keeping a log. The big team start documenting. You know, all my chats with the previous tenant. I save all this stuff. That's you know, we just gathered and gathered and gathered. That's why it was so easy for me to 
give it to any team that comes to my house. I'm like, here, here you go. I gave Ghostbusters a thumb drive, mm-hmm. Nikki a thumb drive, Steve and Dawn a thumb drive. And it was easy for them to look at the information. So, yeah, um, but you're right. The burning Bibles, um, the upside down crosses, uh, even the fire department when they came to the home, uh, you know, they could not determine why the poster caught on fire. It's not near, you know, you, you can see the post, the picture poster on the wall. There's no, there's no heat source near. It's not near a lamp, not near a, uh, you know, portable heater. Um, but they just write on their report, their PDF report, the fire department of unknown. Now, I know why the post department, because I got the house from hell. Right. But I didn't tell them that. But they they go back to their home base or whatever, and they got to fill out a report. And the fire department did make a second trip to the house just to confirm the first trip. And I have a I have a record up that I have the PDF of them admitting, we don't know what point but hey, your house didn't burn down, so everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so all that uh, to a researcher, to an investigator, um, it adds up and it's important. And um, that's what sort of gave credibility to me and Tina, right. to Nikki and Steve and Dawn and other paranormal teams as a four years of stuff. Okay. Right. I mean, he's maintenance guys, he's got Comcast. Mobile, or, I mean, AT&T coming by, fixing or looking at the electrical issues, writing no problem found. He's doing all this due diligence stuff to show that he's going through, you know, hoops and hurdles to ascertain why is his lights always cutting off and on, you know, and the electrical guy can't figure out why you're having electrical problems because he's checked all the wiring and everything's fine. The power company can't understand why at the present time while you're on the phone, your houses have no power, but they show power where they're sitting, running to your house. So all that stuff is documented, and that and that's a treasure trove for research. Right. Okay. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. Okay, we're back from the brief little break. Um, so let's go ahead and pick up where we left off. With Ghost Adventures has done their thing and made life difficult for you essentially, and you have this other paranormal team out of the East Coast, and then the team out of the UK want to come in and kind of see what they can find. Now, at this point, after the Ghost Adventures team or the Ghost Adventures episode, how was the evidence? I mean, how was the activity? Had it ramped up or has it? Did it? was there a kind of a law in the activity at this point before the uh, other teams come in and do their investigation? Well, um, between the time Ghost Adventures and the UK team, maybe... 11 months, maybe 12 months. Right. Um, activity is now just me living in the home. And we're down to level one um, level activity. And by level one, I mean, there's a, there's a forever constant that remains in the house always. And those are pretty much phantom footsteps, uh, teleporting of objects, okay, and the loud bang. So that was still happening after Tina had moved, and that still happened with just me in the home. Uh, no more fires, no more objects being thrown, uh, none of the violent stuff. Right. So I'm even dawning that hey, hey, these three, these three things are still remaining, and that's enough right then and there. 
even for Steve, that, that's more than that. Right. And um, so, yeah, that, that, that piqued his curiosity and Don's curiosity. You know, they're traveling 10,000 miles. Right. Uh, Nikki and them at that time have already concluded phase one of their investigation. I talked about this in my book. Uh, we monitored the house seven months and got a treasure trove, like I mentioned earlier, the women screaming, the child screaming, the phantom footsteps, the loud banging, uh, door closures, electrical issues, countless electronic issues. Now they have to do the boots on the ground, both teams do. Right. And they're now putting forth a proposal. And what was interesting, there was never a question as far as expectations of them living in the house. Because uh, I, I thought, to them, well, if y'all going to come investigate my house, y'all got to live there. And they're like, of course, why wouldn't we? And that was a relief to hear both teams say that. Right. Um, and Steve and Dawn arrived first. Uh, late January of 2016, and they stayed uh, six days the first time they came. And when they arrived, you know, they bring in all this gear, crate after crate after crate. It's got to clear customs, and they're being picked up from the airport, brought to my house. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, and I'm just getting out of the way. I'm at, everybody's got their own room, thank God. I said, hey, this is your room, this is your room. And they just started doing what, you know, they, they had a protocol. Steve and Don have a protocol that they execute. And I'm just over here in the corner working from home. I got my laptop. I'm, you know, working from home. When they ask questions, they need something or access to something, I give it to them. But they're picking up data the minute they walk there. One of the first phenomena Steve and Don witnessed when they got to my house is the front door opens by itself. I told Steve months and months in advance and I got it written in diaries of ever since Tina left the home, even when she was living in the home, there were days when I would come up to my house and I'm halfway up the street of my house and our house, the garage door, you can raise it up with the remote control. Mm-hmm. You know, you got it in your visor. Well, the activity had, pivoted so much on me to where now my garage door would now open on its own without me touching my visor. All I have to do would be about less than 40 yards from my house. The garage door would go up or go down or the front door would open or the opposite. If I'm about to leave the next day to go to work and brush my teeth and get dressed, okay, I'm ready to go out the door and grab my coffee, grab my laptop bag. You can hear the garage door going up as I'm preparing to leave. <laughs> it was like just like the serious, I mean, Tina one day, she's like, hey, Keith, Tina will leave before me. She's like, hey, garage doors up, or hey, all your front doors, all your car doors are open, trunk open. So I tell, I post Steven all this stuff. And, and, and whether he believed it or not, like, okay, whatever, dude, he saw that day one when he got to the house. Mm-hmm. They had got to the house and realized they didn't have any personal effects. So we went to the Fred Meyer. We came back from the Fred Meyer. And as we're coming to my house and pulling up my driveway, the front door opens by itself. And Steve, having only been at the house for maybe a few hours, writes in his diary, even in his book, he has a book by himself called Fire and Whispers. He mm-hmm. says, when I saw that, when we came back from the store, he, and this is his mental thought, right? Mm-hmm. He said, I thought that that might be a little hoaxy, like, okay, somebody keeps got 
is working the house from outside or remote or whatever. But it gets even deeper because next day they're setting up the, um, you know, equipment. They're taking readings of the house. They're establishing the baseline and whatever. And one of my uh, motion cameras is in the living room. And uh, it's facing the front door. And I'm working off my laptop. And Steve Adorno huddled over there by the kitchen counter looking at their gear. And all of a sudden, my laptop goes beep, beep, beep. And they hear that noise. And I'm like, hey, guys, we got motion being detected in the next room. So they see me sitting as they sitting at the table. They have, they're, they're closer to the camera than me. And I call them over to my laptop. And I open up because it sends me a, a picture because the camera takes a snapshot. And I open up the email, see the attachment. They see the timestamp. They hear the beat. And you can see five pictures in the email. There's, there's pictures of the camera looking at the door. And then the, I think the fourth or fifth picture is the camera now looking at the wall. Right. Okay. All within a nanosecond or two. Mm-hmm. All right. And that just blew their minds away. That just, and now we got to mosey on over there to confirm it with our own eyes. And true enough, this camera has been turned 180 degrees while three men are in the kitchen. Keith's in plain sight. Don and Steve were together. And for the last two years, because I think Dave even said it on the episode of why is everything always happening off camera? And I always tell people, because I can't predict this stuff. Right. They come near my cameras. They move them. They unplug them. They turn them upside down. But Steve and them saw that and then when Steve saw that at dawn and they had to take a cigarette. It was funny. They said they went outside and took a cigarette break and, and they talked about that but they're like, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right, yeah. Because pro- they they did their research. I mean, they probably they saw the episode of Ghost Adventures you know, so oh, yeah. Yeah. so I'm sure they, you know, they they approached it you know, in the documentary because they did do a documentary and they highlighted you know, like this with the camera turning in part of it, they come at the paranormal in their investigation as more of an academia and more science. I don't want to say more scientific, but they look at it through like somebody that is, you know, a scientist, the way I, the way I viewed what they do and how they talked about it. They were more scientific in that matter because they view things through scientific and through like, Academia, and they're trying to figure figure out what's going on. So they probably came in, you know, with their minds open that something could be happening here, or even, you know, some maybe Zach Bagans was right. Maybe they, you know, there isn't anything here, yeah. you know. So exactly, yeah, exactly. So they, they came about their yeah. <clears throat> so they came at it the way it should be, you know. Every paranormal investigator, you know, you have to keep your mind open to both sides of the story. Because the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And when they started seeing this activity, it probably blew them away a little bit from what they knew about the case. They saw your videos. They saw the Ghost Adventures. You know, they're two completely different ends of the spectrum. And they're kind of seeing what's going on here. It had to have really sparked their interest and really pumped up the investigation for them. Yeah, because they reviewed the material. And like I said, most investigations, the truth is always somewhere in between, Mm -hmm. you know. And people can't sometimes get ahead or get ahead of their skis with their story or with their experience. 
and you and and I understand a researcher has to guard against the house occupant, you know, going overboard with the phenomenon was taking place. What kept me and Tina honest was number one, our record keeping. You know, I approached everybody with the same material and said, Hey, review this stuff. You know, I just know the episode demons and yeah, that's not my name. You guys gotta figure out what's in this house. Mm-hmm. And I came back to was in Seattle, okay, that's you guys. But Steve and Don, they looked at the material, they watched the um Ghost Adventures episode, but they had their own methodology. Right. And Steve Doing this for thirty some odd years, and Don as well. It was like, you know, I, and you saw the documentary. Steve said we have techniques built into our methodology that can pull the phenomena out. You know, we don't go in to repress it. You, 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 you can repress. You can inhibit your own investigation by a certain mentality. We come in objective. We listen to Keith's story, and, and Steve even says it. it, it we came to two conclusions when we decided to take each case. Either he's delusional, and therefore we have to help that aspect of it, or he's 100% sincere. And they give me an evaluation after evaluation. And like, as it looks right now, and all the evidence is bearing fruit, he looks like he's sincere. Right. Okay. But you see Hokey Stokey, Hokey, you know, Holton or whatever, Invisible String. We'd be the first person to call it. Mm-hmm. But so that when they when they saw those two instances, um, I was glad I, because those have been a pain at my side for four years. Right. And um, I knew they were at the right place when that happened because I knew, okay, the spirits they want to interact with these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They 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 find these guys worthy of interacting. No. Ghost Adventures pushed the demon aspect of it. And from what I kind of gathered from this, uh, the documentary, the guys from the UK, you know, they were more in the poltergeist part of it. And they, what was their finding? Especially because if it, the people who saw the Ghost Adventures, you know, your office got marked up with Indian symbols and 666 and all that. What did they yeah. determine um, via, you know, the demonic or was it just a standard? poltergeist um, activity because they caught evidence. They caught what, 400 and some odd EVPs the first two weeks. What was their determination on what was actually um, haunting that particular location? Uh, well, Steve, he, Steve broke it down to two categories. It was something that he's never seen. He said there's 70% of the activity taking place in this house lends itself to poltergeist activity. Those who are familiar with Portuguese activity know, or the theory I have to say, is Portuguese activity seems to manifest where there's an agent. Once somebody in the house is the agent in which this phenomena is springing from. Right. Uh, books tend to point to adolescent children, mainly females or girls. So generally, researchers start right there. If you can get to the person where the activity is centered around, you can squash the activity altogether. What Steve found weird about this case is you're having manifestations in this house that are poltergeist-like, you know, textbook poltergeist, but some of this activity has happened when you're not at home. Some of this activity has happened when you're elsewhere, like at work, at a hotel. Some of this activity has happened when you and Tina are not at home or when she's at home and you're not. So 
there's no agent in the equation that we know of because mm-hmm. we've, we've proven that the activity sometimes is even more dangerous or uh, more extreme when either one of you are not even in the house. The wall writings and all the stuff you see on my wall, we were not home when that happened. Right. That happened when we were gone. Or when you come home and our house is turned upside down, even though the ADC security is still on and not been tripped, that is poltergeist activity, but most researchers see that when the house occupants are in the home. The other side is that, yeah, we have seen objects float and fly by and zoom by while we're there. Once again, poltergeist activity. But what Steve says, the flip side is we also see what he was pointing to is residual activity, uh, landlocked phenomenon, and that some of the activity gives hints of it being a result of the land. Mm-hmm. Other gets sense of it being residual, like the gray lady. I mean, not the gray lady, the white lady, the, the white apparition that I saw uh, that played like a movie. Uh, she's walking back and forth in the hallway. She doesn't interact with you. She doesn't make eye contact like the gray apparition did. But it looks like you're watching a movie, like a projector. Right. Uh, and the EVPs. I mean, they got 436 EVPs. A lot of them were considered class A of conversation. I mean, you have one spirit talking to another. They're talking about what's happening in the room right then and there. They're making commentary. The spirits are giving commentary to Steve and Don and myself of what's happening. They're talking about the cameras. They're trying to guess what cameras are being used. Right. Is it a motion? Is it a night, uh, uh, you know, night vision camera? And that, that's not poltergeist or so we thought. Steve, in his opinion, this might have to revise what we think about Coach Guy, but it was really, and, and Nikki and her team had the same problem of, you know, what evidence points in one direction, because wall writings, yeah, there are documented cases where Coach Guy's a wall writing, kitchen cabinet door, yeah, that's uh, all objects moving, ask for teleport, but generally you have a, a child or somebody that's under an unbelievable amount of stress, removed stress within that child and the activity dissipates. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been going on for years, which right. is almost unheard of for Portuguese as well. So yeah, it, it was very interesting uh, given that opinion about, and they're still unsure. They, they say 70 to 80% Portuguese, but that 20% they have not yet defined. Right. And now you mentioned that they came to the assumption that, you know, a lot of it was land-based or some of it was land-based. Now, did they, I'm sure they interviewed your neighbors or people in the surrounding area. Were some of the neighbors having activity as well? No, they they, they talked to my neighbors to my left and to my right. Uh, multiple teams did. Uh, but Stephen Stephen Don interviewed them. They asked some questions. None of my neighbors reported phenomena. The only thing that my neighbor to my right would say is, is their dog, uh, they have a house dog, does not go to the left side of their house. It refuses to go to the left wing, the portion of their house that's closest to mine. Hmm. And animals or people who walk their pets in the neighborhood, and we noticed this, me and Tina did, uh, the animals would not come into our yard. They would not, they did, they just purposely avoid it. And this is when we were, you know, having low activity, no activity, or, or a lot of activity. Uh, but nobody could pinpoint to phenomena, I mean, in our neighbors. Uh, what gave Steve and Dawn the impression that some of this was landlocked was the EVP. Okay. The 
spirits kept saying that, yeah, it's the land. You get Irish accent. Um, I don't know if you saw the portion where Dawn is in the woods mm-hmm. behind the house in the middle of the dead of night, and he asked the question, are there any Native Americans buried here? And he got a yes. He, he picked up a yes on the EVP. He picked up on several devices. He couldn't hear it with the naked ear, but he picked it up and they reviewed it later. Also, Don went underneath the house and picked up an EVP where the term longhouse, one word, longhouse. Hmm. Well, longhouse is a Native American term, and Botha was peripherated with longhouses. These are Native American homes or uh, cabins, if you will. Uh, back in the 1800s, uh, there's still some around in Boston, Snohomish County today. But he didn't ask that question. He was just blurted out through the EVP of Longhouse. Right. And, um, the research in the area of Bothell, I'm going back to the Native Americans being in and around Bothell, the local skirmishes, there was a smallpox outbreak uh, that pretty much decimated, almost killed the entire Duwamish uh, tribe. Uh, another name is the Willow people, uh, specific to this area. Um, then you can't overlook the wall writing. The wall writing is the upside down man. Um, I've looked at over 10,000, me personally, I've looked at over 10,000 Portuguese cases in my research. And maybe 300 out of that 10,000 where wall writing occurred. I found a lot of six, six, six wall writings throughout the world mm-hmm. where Portuguese are concerned. I've yet to find any wall writing of an upside down man except our house. Right. But we later found out, like the internet being everybody's best friend, right. an upside down man means a Native American. In their, in their language, that means a man has died or is about to die. Uh, it mostly means a man has died through an illness, like smallpox and measles, which the Pacific Northwest had crazy accounts of in the 1700s and 1800s. Right. Now, what was their opinion of the wall writing? And I'm asking that because in Ghost Adventures, they mentioned, you know, you had the 666 and then you had the upside down man in what appeared to be tribal or Indian type pictures. And they kind of led you to believe or made the point of saying it's kind of weird to have demonic and tribal symbols all grouped together. Um, What did these guys come up with i mean yeah that, um i could not understand why they drew attention in that way uh because once again going back to they was trying it seemed like they were trying to suggest uh because me and Tina were never um dismayed by the six to six right we were not thinking oh my god lucifer is in our house we, we thought lucifer is in our house this was the other stuff that's happening not the six 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 right we thought we wrote 666 on the wall as a means of trying to play with our emotions, trying to get us, you know, you know. And, yeah, so when Ghostbusters threw that out there, I was like, huh? But when Steve and Don saw that, they, they, they knew like I knew. They're like, this is just poltergeist trickery. This is just the bait and switch. This is just right. keeping on your toes. Um, it's interesting. Um and I guess a, a neophyte investigator would see that and be like, hey, that's got to be hosted because, yeah, you can get a spray paint, 666. Right. I think they even hit it on the Ghost Adventures episode, like, you know, a spray paint. Right. But, no, Stephen, and Stephen don't even ask the question of, okay, you're here 
chisel a piece off, scrape a piece off, and go test it. Right. <laughs> and so the investigation doesn't stop where the where the eye meets the paint. Right. The investigation goes where you chisel a piece off and see what the paint is made out of. Right. Um. Not to harp on Ghost Adventures, but they kind of, especially since we're talking about the six, the writing in your office, the six six six, and the marking. They kind of, which I understand, they're uh, what the line of questioning that Zach was doing to you at that time, and they made the press or the they kind of tried to make the point of that you did it, but maybe you were under you were being oppressed or even you know being possessed in the spirit or ghost or yeah, demon right. it was was making was making you do it now what was uh have you did you feel or what's your opinion were you did whatever that was there was it trying to possess you or did it do you think it made you do some things what's your opinion on what they that the way they were taking it taking that particular scenario being a spirit or a ghost uh well what's what were you, do you feel maybe that the spirit was trying to possess you or trying to force you to do things? Did you ever oh, once no. feel like you were being trying, that you, the spirit was trying to possess you or oppress you? Yeah, the spirit was definitely trying to oppress me and Tina. Um, and they were definitely trying to possess. Now, when I say possess, I want to be clear and describe it because I'm not talking about the possessed that Hollywood describes. I'm not talking about them trying to get me to turn my head 360 degrees and spit out peach soup. Right. Um, there have been moments in the house, and I talk about this in my book, where I've been sleeping in my bed, and I feel these poking prods stabbing at me from underneath the mattress, or the indentations, or the uh, depression in the mattress of something moving towards uh, I have felt at times while sleeping where I feel something moving towards me and my eyes open wide because Tina's not in the house, let alone the room. And as soon as my eyes open wide, my back is turned towards the door. I feel a rush zoom through me, you know, and, and I mean, zoom, what really zoom in me, not through me. It doesn't come out on the other side. Right. Um, there's a feeling of feeling flustered, um, a little bit of euphoria, a little bit of oh, I just think I had too much caffeine, a little jittery right. as a result. It's almost it's over before it begins, but that's happened a lot. Um, I don't know if that possession I call that attachment, right? Yeah, more than right. um, because nothing made me run around the house and be like he's home or he's back. You know? Right? <laughs> Did it ever kind so, of? So, did it ever kind of change your mood? I mean, change your personality? or, or Yeah, I mean, me and Tina, one of the things we, I mean, you're, that house, we were, there was a, and it's the summer of 2014, summer and fall of 2014, where you're in a pressure cooker. Right. Where you're having mood swings that you don't know the origin of. And at that time, you're just in a pressure cooker. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Um, you're, you're irritable, you're sleep deprived. Uh, the priest stood you up. The paranormal team came and forgot all their battery packs. I mean, you're, you're frustrated and, um, your finger pointing at, you know, at Tina. Well, why, I thought you was going to call the priest. Well, I thought you were. I got busy at work with you and da 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 da. And the spirit 
throw more on that. They're like, yeah, give, give them more, give them more, give them more. I tell people um, in my book, and, and, I, and, I, and I believe this to the core, these spirits in particular, I'm talking about that, and especially after talking to the previous tenant in the home and what it did to their marriage, these spirits are hell-bent on breaking up relationships. Mm-hmm. They're hell-bent on getting couples to kill each other. That's what they want. That's what they want to do. They want me and Tina to be at each other's throats. Go all the way. If you read my book, you'll see how they were doing setup of putting female jury in Tina's path where she was some questioning me about, hey, where does jury come from? Where does jury come from? And I'm like, I don't know. Tina be going out of town on business. She'd come back and it'd be a female earring in the back. But right. I couldn't make any woman. And I'm like, well, Tina, number one, remember what house we live in. You know, it's easier said than done when you find a, an item like that in your bed. Yeah, you know, all sense of reason so, kind of goes out the. You forget about the spirit at that point when. Yeah, you forget about the spirit yeah. at that point. You, you were, and the spirits are just edging you on, like, yeah, go, go, yeah, go, go, berserk, go, berserk, right. turn, go, go, Hulk on, you go, Hulk on her, and we'll reap the benefits of we'll be out of jail, we'll her out of jail. No, they won't. Right. And you're trying to maintain your sanity, and it became a time where I saw Tina. We can't have disagreements or arguments in our house because every time we did, and it could be the most minute disagreement, opposite thought line. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lights would flutter, or, you know, you argue about, hey, you left the seat up or down. I mean, you literally have to move furniture or hear furniture move and, or give each other the cold shoulder. Oh, my computer mind was caught on fire one night or one weekend when me and Tina stopped talking to each other because we were so mad. And Sunday morning, the computer mind was just busting the flames. Huh. And woke both of us. So wow. all that, all that, all that, it, it, it's just, it's, I mean, it's gasoline on top of TNT right. on top of nuclear reactor at that point. Right. It's just a power keg waiting to explode. Oh, yeah. Um, Very much. Um, throughout this entire run of four years, did you or any of these other paranormal investigating teams, did they, did, was there any physical attacks? Were you were there any scratches or, you know, pushing or any kind of? I know things got thrown, but I'm talking physical, as in scratches or touched. Did you feel threatened at any point? Yeah, uh, going back to 2014, January second. What I believe, and what we later confirmed through the EVP that Stephen Dong captured, um, I had a bad. Fall January second, two thousand fourteen. This was when the house was quiet. I was coming downstairs for a glass of water, and I slipped in the midway stairwell and tore my right patella tendon. Uh, it was a bad fall, horrific fall. Uh, I had to get the fire department and the EMT over, and it required surgery for me to reattach it. So I was laid up for two months upstairs, and didn't have to go to work, and. That's when I started hearing footsteps in the kitchen cabinet door noise again as I'm laid up in bed, in and out due to pain meds. And the credenza or the armor got thrown a few weeks after that. Um, we later learned, because that was one of the things on the back of Steve's mind as they're trying to determine what's in this house, if it's friend or foe, they asked questions. Anybody pushed Keith down the stairs and they got an EVP where it was, we pushed Keith downstairs. They, they, they used my name in their response 
and they used they used poor. They said, "Yeah, we we did, we did. We pushed him down the stairs." And they played that. But they played that. Uh, I remember hearing that on Don's Olympus uh, voice recorder, and I was like, "Wow!" Me and Tina always had that riddle in our head: was my fall an accident right. or on purpose? Uh, Tina got scratched a few weeks after the Ghost Adventures left the house, not when the episode aired, but after they left, mm-hmm. um, she would wake up every morning and have three scratches on both her arms and legs. Uh, also, one time she was in the shower, came out come screaming at me, saying, oh my God, oh my God. And you see these red streaks on her arms and uh, thigh area. Uh, that happened like three days in a row. Um, just to give you and your listeners close proximity how close these spirits are to us is one morning we woke up, and this is around the time that Tina got scratched. Uh, we woke up one morning and the mattress cover that we were sleeping on, you know, the mattress cover mm-hmm. uh, was shriveled up as confetti. Really? It looked like Wolverine and Freddy Krueger got into a grudge match in the middle of the night while we were sleeping. We woke up and you know, you're on the brush for teeth, you got out of bed and have the sheets are following with you because it's all shredded up and it's just dripping. And we, and me and Tina looked at each other. We, we would sleep over that. You know, right. you can't do that sleeping on top of something. And I'm literally talking confetti. The entire is a King's California King size bed and the sheet is confetti. And soon after she got those scratches. And, um, yeah, a lot of weird stuff happened like right. that in the bed. So pretty close proximity stuff. Okay. So we, the activity in the house has been documented and they spend, the UK team spends two weeks or whatever there. And they come to the conclusion you have poltergeist, you have residual and you, that you have something that they really don't know what it is because it's not falling in any category. What did they tell you to do? Uh, well, Steve and, uh, well, Steve mainly because he's a parapsychologist. One of the things that he, the advice he gave even before he arrived, and keep in mind, their second visit came in April. They brought Nick Kyle. Nick Kyle was the former president of the SSPR. And the advice given by both gentlemen, because they were trying to go at the post-guys angle, even though there is level one activity, there are things that you should do, steps you should take. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty sure the spirits don't like cameras. So we don't want to, to ever erect more cameras in the home that will elevate or escalate the activity. And for lack of a better word, other paranormal team tell me that gives the spirits attention. Right. That gives them some, gives them a target to shoot at. Oh, you got cameras? All right, I'll just take one. And at the time I was being stupid buying more cameras to replace the ones that they were stealing. Right. So then they start them at me. Also, um, you, you don't have to smudge anymore. We've determined that smudging it's an adverse effect. It did. It does. Uh, that's why the post caught fire. Uh, but also, they say when phenomena happens in and around you, um, try not to overreact to it. Okay. You know, try not to, you know, run or come screaming or, oh my God, you know, just kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, but at that time, I had already made my mind that I was going to move anyway. So it was good to hear them tell me that. Um, but I had already made the determination. Once again, my goal was to get our clients substantiated, and I thought both teams did. Uh, 
I sent you their comprehensive report mm-hmm. yeah. and a documentary. Um, um, but you're really going to like this. And this, and this, and once again, this is not a hard on ghost message, but this is just actual fact. Um, when information about the case became public, I'm talking about the UK team and the US team, mm-hmm. and the paranormal circles are small. I mean, it's just, right. stuff. It's just small, small world. Um, and Fox News locals came back to the house and they watched and looked over the shoulder of Stephen Dawn and Nikki and they said, hey, the guys have found something. They found stuff. There's, there's truth here. Um, but when the report came official and was released, uh, somebody, not me, um, introduced it to Zach and Dave Schrader to get their opinion. Uh, David Rose of Seattle Fox News wanted to get their opinion for the record. Right. Uh, somebody on Ghost Adventures who had saw the tweet put it on Zach's uh, wall and Dave Schrader's wall, and their and their response was just so negative. And they not responded to these. They responded to Steve and Don. They were like, Ah, this guy's off the wall. Where's the video of? They were just being so asinine to their own field, to Nikki, to right. people that. These are people in your field, in your profession. Right. You know, and they're like, ah, oh, no. And they've already gone on the record to say, hey, we lived in the house three weeks. We lived in the house. There's truth here. It isn't, they're not calling you guys bad. They're just saying, hey, we, we came and, you know, we spent more time. Obviously, you guys got a show to do and, five, you know. Right. And they weren't coming to them as a ha ha, told you so. Stephen Don was like, hey, this is, you know, we got 430 EVPs. And here it is. The world can see it. I don't like to chew it up, spit it out, or whatever. Their, their whole response was as if to just, if we don't find it, it's not nobody finds it. And, and it just, I just sit back like, who does that? You know, that's the problem with these paranormal shows, especially. And the more I watch, you know, I watch them mainly to kind of get ideas, basically. Um, but I don't put a lot of stock into what. Zach does or what any of the other ones do, you know, there's so many now, um, because they're entertainment. They, yeah, and it's kind of like YouTube. I mean, a lot of these YouTube people, like the exploration guys and ghost hunting guys, you know, which technically I'm technically part of too, because I have a podcast and I do do videos. But they're they're doing it for on YouTube. They're doing it for views, and on Travel Channel, they pay, they pay the bills. They need viewers, so they're it's entertainment, and they're going to their job is to entertain. And if they don't get anything, and they need to get a show out, they're going to spin it like what they did to you. And then it's almost like they get caught. I don't want to say caught in a lie, but you know, they have to defend their position because they have they think they have to keep their credibility up. To where when yeah. the, with this evidence coming in, you they should have just said, hey. Okay, we spent five five hours there. We didn't get anything. These guys spent more time. Good for them. Good. Okay, maybe we, maybe we should have went back, or maybe we should investigate a little bit more instead of attacking the people who did find something. Of course, they found yeah. something. They spent yeah. they spent weeks there. You you spent hours. I mean, and it's but it's almost to the when I hear that they did that to them that just basically tells me, and I don't have anything against them, I, I don't have an opinion either way, but that tells me, the first thing that pops into my mind when they when I hear that is, okay, now they're just getting defensive. 
because they probably know they didn't do a great job just for the mere fact they didn't have the time and they don't stay at a location for weeks on end because they can't. And so they got defensive, essentially, is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I don't know if you know Jim Harold, uh, but he, he brought up a, a, a good point. He's like, hey, this guy was not only up and up, keep talking about keep running myself, mm-hmm. he was not only up and up, and it was all hopeless, fakery. He would have doubled down or tripled down. Right. This guy doubled down and tripled down, bought a team halfway across the world, told them they can live in his house. Right. You know, sometimes he's not even, when Nick and them lived in the house, I, was, I went to work. They just had to access to the house when I, when I was even there. Right. So you have access to all the rooms, crooks and crannies. And that's just not the, that's just the, not the action of a faker or a hoaxer right. or exaggerator. Right. But finally, when the evidence comes out and you give it to the team, I'm like, well, give it to anybody y'all want to, and anybody can scrutinize or whatever. I don't care. I, you know, they go, oh, no, that team, da, 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 da. And I was like, wow, dude, your field, not my field, your field. I'm right. IT. <laughs> we don't do right. IT. <laughs> you, know? Right. you know, you know, that's kind of, you know, you think that, but I guess there's so much money involved with the TV shows where they kind of got to be a little, you know, defensive to where, you know, on a smaller scale with just paranormal teams that are going out investigating, hey, they're doing it on their own dime. So they, you know, they're happy for other teams. They, you know, there's kind of a camaraderie there. And, oh, you got that there? Okay, well, I'm going to go there and kind of look for that too. Here's what I got. You know, you know, they kind of compare notes. It's not, it's not really a competition to where I guess there's so much money involved when, you know, you're probably millions of dollars at stake. You know, you're going to be a little you know, territorial, I guess, and kind of, once you get backed into a wall, stay in your ground. Yeah, money and the ego, that lets me know you've been in it too long when it gets that right. person. I mean, yeah, I mean, they have to, uh, yeah, they, they have to kind of do it just for a mere fact because, you know, shows are getting canceled all the time, so they kind of have to stick to their guns a little bit. So, where are you, yeah. you moved out in 2016 after all this has, uh, taken place you know you do you feel you got vindicated with this report and what has the reaction been to the internet world to this report or has it changed their mind i mean the ghost adventures ghost adventures fanatics you're never going to change their mind just for a matter of fact whatever you know zach walks on water but has the overall tone changed towards you yeah the, the, the response from the paranormal community for me Tina. It has been positive. I mean, a lot of people who came, even after the episode was in the air, was, I always thought there was something more to that house than meets the eye, even after I saw the episode. Then it took them two years for them to realize, oh, another team went in and found something. They, they came to, oh, yeah, that episode always interested me. It went off weird. It was abruptly. There was never an aftershock afterward. What happened to Keith and Tina? So a lot of teams reached out to me and found me on the internet. Um, but overall, you're right. The, the, the fanaticals, um, they're never going to, um, accept, and that's fine. That's, I, I get that. Uh, but the, the paranormal community, um, both in the United States and in the UK and elsewhere, um, yeah, like I said, Steve has given several lectures. He's wrote a book, uh, the documentary, the report, my YouTube channel. Um, I just throw my stuff on YouTube. I don't give it a lot of Hollywood flash or editing. I just throw it up there. Some videos are longer than others. 
and you can make of it as they may. Some evidence better than others. I just put it out there. Uh, for me, what I did this for was for the next house occupant after me, not necessarily in that house, but in any house. If they ever want to go the route that I and be, you know, put under flame and fire, they're like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to keep. Right. Um, now there's a, there's a, there's a, there's another side to that. I tell people now, hindsight being 2020, this is, there's a few silver linings out of this account. You know, this, this cost me, it cost me to grow all up. But, mm-hmm. um, there's a silver lining in the fact of, um, I never would have found Nikki and her team and Steve and Dawn and others had Ghost Adventures found one orb or something. Mm-hmm. I never, I never would have had the, the motivation. That would have been it for me. You know, oh, y'all found an orc or y'all found a whatever dust car. Okay, I'm out of here. You know, because that, right. <laughs> that made me drill down deeper and, and, and find these guys. And look what you have. You have 436 EVPs on trip one, almost 200 EVPs on trip two. Um, even their minds were blown with what I had to wait to because our minds were blown. Um, he talked about it in detail in his book. You saw the the documentary. You saw the shadows captured in the hallway. Mm-hmm. It's the hallway with one one. Uh, you saw the it's the camera. It's the camera. The conversation. You saw the anomalies happening around the bed. So all that stuff at credence. So for me, that's the silver lining. And um, your listeners, they can go and find this stuff. It's not Hollywood as and just look at it and be like, uh-huh, okay, all right, good deal. I remember that episode vaguely, and I see this, and the, I mean, the, the difference is obvious. You can watch the hour episode and watch Steven Dawson documentary and, and tell who's going to come out on top right. as far as the evidence. Right. So you moved out. How far away did you move from that location? Not 20 minutes. 20 minutes. I'm, uh, I live in Linwood, Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, which is 20 minutes from Bothell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have friends in Bothell. I have a friend who lives two houses down from the house. <laughs> and there's a case his house for barbecue. Um, and uh, now, you know, I try not to go back to the house. For, you know, just for everybody to know, there's a, a husband and wife who bought the house, I think, a month or so after I moved out. The house was put on the market. The homeowner uh, sold it. It sold in 11 days once it was on the market. Uh, it's a husband and wife. They know of the house. They mm-hmm. are aware of what happened inside the house. Mm-hmm. They decided to move anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, two months into the house, I get an email from my friend who lives a few houses down. He said, hey, that house you used to live in, they put a blue door on it. It has a blue door now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I googled blue door and blue doors is a symbol for keeping negative spirits out. Oh. Oh. So, several cuts uh, believe in the power of, you know, what color door you have. Uh, I forgot what red means or green, but it's color means something. Blue signifies uh, keeping negativity away uh, from your house. I'm not going back to talk to them to say, hey, are you having flying pottery? Or, right. That's not my that's not my motivation. Right. Um, one of the things Steve told me and told them, uh, Certain people, even with a level one activity, if you're just clairvoyant enough, you might not notice it. Right. You know, you might not, and you might not notice you go downstairs and get a cup of water and come back and the lights off. You mm-hmm. just turn it back on. Right. 
me, the three times that happened, I know I didn't turn the light up. Right. I, I, I'm just wired that way. So I was like, start doing tests. And, you know, I, like, I know I didn't turn the light off. But anybody else, and that, and that might keep the spirits at bay. But once again, it's, it's, it's not so much the house itself, people living in it. Right. Uh, I think it's from the synergy of me and Tina, in addition to Rhonda, uh, the previous tenant, and her family, because uh, her family and me and Tina, we had a lot of similarities. Right. Now, since you've moved out of the location and you live 20 minutes away, has activity, do you, are you experiencing any activity now at your new place? Yeah, I get, I get weird stuff. Um, every now and about three weeks ago, uh, my phone charger, which was sitting on my couch playing this day on my cushion, when I went to bed and when I went up in the morning to go to work, I was looking for it. It was gone. It was out on my, I live alone. I live in a two bedroom town. And it was gone. And I flipped all the cushions to look for it. I mean, I go through the act of flipping every cushion because I thought maybe it fell through the crack. Well, guess what? I, I, I'm running late, so I stopped searching for it. And I was like, man, I could have sworn I left it on the couch before I went to bed. And I just flipped the cushions. It's not under there. So I come back home eight hours later. And there it is, sitting on the couch. Yeah. So, but it's nowhere near the activity you experienced before. Just little knick yeah, neck no. stuff. No, there's no. Occasionally, I mean, the first, well, the water puddle incident was on day one right. when I moved in. Um, that happened. Um, occasional, you know, electronic issues, but nothing like the house. No. Right. The only thing that, going back to that forever constant, the only thing that still happens, um, and that, that book, what book two would be about, is the stuff that happens when I go to bed. Okay. The, the poke, the prodding, and the heartbeats. Because there, I mean, I, I kid you not, there are heartbeats, and Nikki felt it, and Stephen Don felt it, and got evidence of it when they were in the Bothell House. Mm. But the heartbeats and pulsation coming from the mattress, mainly the pillow area or the headboard area, uh, that has. That hasn't stopped whether I go to a hotel in terms of business or the jabbing or the tugging of the sheets or the, you know, the poking and grabbing at your ankles. Right. Um, but no movement, no movement, no rapping, the phenomenon known as rapping uh, or slam. No. Now, you said you're writing another book about your kind of afterlife of Bothell? Yeah, so book. Book one, the Bothell Hell House, starts uh, May uh, 2012 and ends around uh, March, April of 2016. Book two picks up where book one left off, which is the last two months in the house. Mm-hmm. It includes the second investigation by Steve, Don, and Nick. Remember, Steve and Don came the first time in January. It came back again in April. Uh, and they brought Nick Kyle with them, and they stayed even longer, stayed eight days. So that, and then uh, the first two years of me living in my new place, which is, once again, the bed, the water puddle, and the uh, the evidence that Steve and Don found on the second trip. Okay. When when are you expecting that to be finished and out for the public? Uh, book two should be out, I'm looking for the end of summer. In the summer. Now, where can everybody find, I'm naturally, I'm sure, 
Amazon, but where all can they find book number one? Uh, the Bottle Hell House, Portuguese of Washington State, is on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle version. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's on Amazon, multiple countries, so yeah. Right. Now, uh, go ahead and tell everybody, um, that I know we talked about your YouTube channel, but any social media where people can maybe reach out and ask you some questions or see what you have coming up or maybe even if you have a new video coming out, where can everybody find you? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, there's two places you can find a treasure trove of evidence. One is YouTube, Keith Linder, or Keith L. And you'll come to my YouTube channel, once again, 600-odd videos. Um, I advise people that are interested, start from the oldest to the newest, because mm -hmm. that'll give you a understanding of how things gradually pick up over the course of, we're now looking at five or six years. But there's a lot of stuff there, and a lot of stuff that the UKs gave me upon leaving uh, on the YouTube channel. And there's other mini documentaries, too, by Steve Mara, that are on my mini, that are on my YouTube channel. They're about an hour, two hours long. Okay. That's a lecture, a two-hour lecture. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one's on Facebook, and you can just search on Facebook. It's called the Washington Portuguese, or Washington State Portuguese House, four words. And just type that in Facebook. That page was created by me and the U.S. team, Nikki and the others. And that one has all the current events, mm -hmm. some of the reports we talked about tonight. And, of course, you can reach me via email from going to the Washington State Portuguese House site on Facebook because I'm the administrator there. So you'll see my comments and my videos and articles. And anybody can send me an email, I respond with them. 24 hours because um, people have questions and whatnot. Also, in the Bottle Hell House book are links and access to a lot of the evidence, a lot of the phenomena being reported, the three burning Bibles, uh, the wall analysis of the wall markings, you know, because we did test that. So they, they, people can find that stuff. And the book is very interactive. I mean, in the first book, when you buy the book or read the book, you also have the ability to pull up videos and audio of the EVP. Okay. There's a lot of EVPs in the first book, a lot of them. Okay. Now, quick question before we uh, call this a wrap. Have you, what are you doing with, since obviously you have experience in the paranormal, have you thought about kind of maybe doing some investigations on your for yourself to kind of get in the field a little bit and maybe help some people that, are experiencing what you've experienced? Uh, well, currently I belong to a uh, sort of like a Portuguese support group, if you will, okay. um, on Facebook, where people have reached out to me who've had similar or worse or less experience with the Portuguese, and we feed off each other information. Uh, believe it or not, I sometimes get emails from people all over the world who are going through something horrible. Um, and we pivot, I pivot them to resources to help. Uh, but a lot of times we're just brainstorming and talking. Right. Um, I think when I get done with book two, um, I would like to, um, you know, talk more about the phenomena that I experienced and the aspect of here's what not to do. Right. You know, to activate the activity, uh, in your home because these spirits, that's a malevolent one. Um, 
they don't suffer fools. They don't feel sorry for you for making a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's really, um, you know, thank you for making a mistake, but we got to pay for it. So, so yes, I can sort of, you know, contribute that way, uh, as well as just making the evidence, because there's still evidence that we're analyzing and digging through, and then we confirm it, and it's vetted by several individuals. Then I release it. I release it on my YouTube channel. Okay. I don't release anything unless I get it first by Nick or Don or Steve or Nikki or uh, her team. That way I have a vetting process and they can substantiate it. And like, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, because there's still, I still got half a terabyte of video that I took myself while both teams were in my house that I listened to on my spare time. Mm-hmm. So when I find stuff, I send it to them and they're like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Wow, and they analyze it. And then like, okay, you can go with that. So it's interesting stuff. Well, th- I'm I'm glad things have uh, calmed down for you, and I think it's great that hopefully your books can help people, and you want to move into that realm to where you're helping people because it can be, as you know, daunting and terrifying when you're living with that kind of activity where you don't know where to turn. And it's good for that there are people out here that there are people like you, I should say that can help them through there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. These were uh, great questions. I uh, I enjoyed it. Matter of fact, it was good. Like I said, everybody, be sure to check out his book. Go to his uh, YouTube channel, subscribe. Look for future evidence that he's still going through and see what he finds because it's a fascinating story no matter which side you take, but you need to hear both sides of the story and I'm so thankful that I got a chance to have you on and tell your side of the story and hopefully some people will uh, come around and maybe you won't get any kind of hate mail anymore from <laughs> Ghost Adventures. Oh no, I don't, yeah, the hate mail has long gone. I, 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 I by the wayside when the reports came out. Right. The, the trolls not, yeah, they, they fell off by the wayside. Right. That's a good thing. All right. Well, once again, thanks for coming on, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. There you have it. That was my conversation with Keith. What did you think? Now, I like the story because this could have went a completely different way. This He could have been very jaded and, you know, not want to double down, essentially, on the hoaxing thing. Because if somebody was hoaxing, like he said about Jim Harold from, I believe his podcast is called The Paranormal Podcast. You know, why would he go to that extreme? If he was hoaxing all that evidence after his 15 minutes were up, why did he keep pushing it? Why did he let another paranormal research group, actually two paranormal research groups, come in and stay there, live with him for that time? That takes some cojones. He was not hoaxing. He was experiencing something. Thank you for listening. Like I said, if you have a comment, be sure to comment on the YouTube page at for this vid- for the video of this podcast, head on over to philsams.com. You can leave a comment at the show note page, and that's philsams.com slash surviving dash a dash poltergeist. Also, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and don't forget, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you like it, be sure to hit the like button and get notifications. Be sure to check out next week's podcast. They come out every Tuesday. And if not, I will let you know on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day, everybody.
thing about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. We probably don't even need the words, the Name Your Price tool, to tell you that our humpback whale pup gives you options based on your budget. Or that our novelty hand buzzer helps you save on car insurance. And that's the thing about the tiny felt bag filled with marbles. At this point, you've heard a lot of ads about the elusive northern bobcat. The Name Your Price tool. <clears throat> the neighbor who baked you banana bread. Only from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.